What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared. I'm joined here by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Tommy. Hello, Jared. And Ryan. What up? I am the one who knocks. <laughs> Today we're breaking down El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie written and directed by Vince Gilligan, starring Aaron Paul. But uh, before we go around and get everyone's first impressions, want to give some reminders. Uh, first up top, we're now doing articles. Check out our articles at medium.com slash wisecrack. Secondly, we are doing our South Park podcast. We do it every year when South Park is on. South Park is on now. It's called Respect Our Authorita. Check that out on iTunes. Thirdly, I am going to be doing panels at the Austin Film Festival starting next weekend. It's in Austin, Texas. Use the promo code WISECRACK25 to get 25% or excuse me, $25 off badges. It's October 24th through 31st in Austin, Texas. If you're a writer, if you're a filmmaker, come meet me down there. It'll be fun. And lastly, Rick and Morty's coming back mid-November. We're doing our podcast for that, The Squanch. So put it on your calendar. We're going to be breaking down every episode. But without further ado... What did you think of El Camino? Let's start with Tommy. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed the movie. I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, I really uh, there are some great sequences in this movie. I love everything with Todd and Jesse. I love that whole flashback sequence. I love the scene of Jesse tearing up his house, looking for the money. The the Mexican standoff I thought was great. Just nuts and bolts of the movie I thought were great. But I got a little confused about like what the movie thematically is trying to say, especially in sort of the larger context of this sort of Breaking Bad universe. I almost actually think this movie works better as a standalone than as an epilogue to Breaking Bad. And, oh, uh, yeah. interesting. Uh, I don't know if we should get into it right now, but uh, there's some thematically confusing things, especially in light of you know Breaking Bad, I think, and sort of the arc of that show. Okay, cool. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Well, as you know, Jared, I'm, one, I'm a huge Breaking Bad fan. You know, me and you, I think we really got off on that series. We we did a whole series on Earthling Cinema on Breaking Bad, every, everything. Right. It was great. I thought this was one of the most pointless, mm. like mm. dullest, <laughs> like like fan service-y. Why, why does this exist in any universe? Why did Vince Gilligan think that this script in particular... What needed to be made, you know, like like the end of the finale to Breaking Bad, while I had some problems with it, you know, it was pretty perfect. You know, like I like I love <laughs> the last scene the time I get to see Jesse, who I whose character arc I love just him freaking out in the car like, all right, he gets one more. You know, he, there's hope. You know, the, I I, re- I I had an, I read an interview with Vince Gilligan. He's you know, and he said, like, I've always just you know, I wanted to know, like, what did Jesse do next? You know, like what in this movie is, yeah, very literally what he did next, the very next couple of days. And it's so boring. It's like, yeah, what did he do next? Boring. He, disagree. He, I mean, it's 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 not momentous. Yeah. There's yeah. no big paradigm shift that, a you know, a movie event would but, seem to get. But I'm OK with that. That's what Breaking Bad is. It's about it's about these it is smaller not, moments. It is not it's, like it. And that's what I would get to, too, is that Breaking this has the Better Call Saul syndrome. Where they mm-hmm. took everything good about Breaking Bad. I mean, I like Better Call Saul, kinda, but like if they take it, they take everything <laughs> cool about Breaking Bad and they just kind of stretch it out, make it so meditative, make it so kind of not. Re- Breaking Bad had a had a literally the what, why everyone loves it is the momentum, is the drive, is the is the tone and force of the story. You know, the very like every scene mattered, every moment mattered, and this movie was just like yeah. Of course, Jesse's fucked up after what happened to him. I get it. I don't need 
two hours of him being tortured and then just looking for money. You know, that's the other, that's the other fucking thing I have about this movie. This movie could have been about any character, anybody, you know, just another gangster movie about a guy looking for money, but, oh, it just happens to be Jesse Pinkman. And then every once in a while we, we run into a character we've seen before and it amounts to nothing. I feel like, See, I am in the middle of both of you because I think it's a perfect epilogue. Oh, okay. And so I think it's actually, it connects perfectly with where we end. But, I mean, obviously I would have liked this movie to reveal something that totally knocks my socks off and makes me rethink the whole season in a way that's very fulfilling. But, I don't know, I'll take a very, what's basically just a long episode of Breaking Bad that has a little bit of a, it's just basically an epilogue. It's like extending... How they ended it. Why and did I'm it happen? Why? That. <laughs> Why not? I, <laughs> it I was say perfect that this, before how it ended. <laughs> I will say that it felt to me, to get into the thematics of the movie, it felt to me like the inverse of Breaking Bad, where in Breaking Bad, it's all about Walter White sort of seizing his own destiny, seizing the moment, becoming self actualized, and sort of the, you know, the negative sort of consequences of that. And Jesse does the exact same thing in this movie. He's a guy, I mean, literally, Mike tells him, like, oh, you got to live for yourself, Jesse. And at the end of the movie, Jane tells him, like, oh, you got to take destiny in your own hands, you yeah. know, do it yourself. And that is sort of the message of the movie that you know Jesse can't be you know listening to Walt any or listening to you know uh, listening to Mr. White anymore he can't you know he can't can't be you know beholden to you know Todd and being forced to be a slave he has to take you know he has to take his own destiny as his hands yeah. and blow everything up but unlike Breaking Bad where there's a cost to it here it's presented as a you know as as catharsis as you know a great thing for Jesse and, that, and that's where it becomes weird for me at least well I don't think that we need to see that because Walter White took control of his life, that people taking control of their own life in general mm-hmm. is a bad thing. I actually, so I agree that that is the message of the movie. Um, and I think there actually is some interesting things into where Jesse is kind of becoming Walt, yeah. but perhaps in a more benevolent way that, you know, that. I think that's it. He's the benevolent Walter White. Yeah. And I, I was like, well, what are they trying to say with that? <laughs> like, it's okay to kill people as long as they're evil. Like, uh, as long as you're not, you know, poisoning a child, yeah. it's okay. Is well, that the thought? I think he doesn't have the uncontrolled pride and ambition that Walter had. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go into a recap and then we'll get more into those details. Boo. So, this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Seconds after the finale of Breaking Bad, Jesse Pinkman has escaped the neo-Nazi ranch and is on the run from the police. Still reeling from his time in a cage, Jesse finds refuge with Badger and Skinny Pete, but when they discover the police have been tracking his car, Jesse has to switch cars and hit the road. Knowing that he needs money to make his escape, Jesse sneaks into Todd's apartment hoping to find his secret stash of money. Intercut with this is a memory of Todd taking Jesse to town during his imprisonment, where he forced Jesse to help bury the body of his housekeeper in his apartment. At one point, Jesse even has the opportunity to kill Todd, but hesitates. Back in the present, Jesse finds the money, but is immediately intercepted by two people posing as cops. Jesse soon recognizes them as Neil and Casey, the contractors who built the cage he was kept in. Jesse bargains for a third of the money and heads off to Ed's vacuum shop to buy a new life. Problem is, he's $1,800 short, so he diverts his parents, steals his dad's guns, and heads to Neil and Casey's shop to get more money. Neil requests they do a Western-style shootout for the money, and Jesse kills him and Casey. With all the money now, Jesse purchases a new identity from Ed and is driven to Alaska. With a new life in front of him, Jesse thinks about Jane, who tells him he ought not take seriously her go-with-the-flow philosophy, but take control of his life 
end of movie. So more to what Tommy was saying about control. In a sense, at the end of the series, I thought that even without this movie, that was Jesse's arc. Because at the end of the movie, Jesse slides the gun, excuse me, at the end of the series, Jesse slides the gun over to Walter and tells him to do it yourself. This was already kind of the indication that he was going to take control of his life because the whole do it yourself thing was contra to people always telling him what to do. Uh, Walt would tell him to do it when he wanted him to kill him, when he was strangling him. I think it was in season one or two. Uh, Walt tells him to do it when he wants him to kill Gale. And by telling Walt to do it yourself, I thought we were meant to read this as him no longer being a puppet and taking control of his life. I mean, he's literally a puppet when they chain him to the ceiling. It's like he's a marionette. Even Hank uses Jesse as a piece of bait to lure Walt out in season five. And this movie is an elaboration on that. He's too passive to kill Todd when he has the chance. Uh, Then there's the thing where you mentioned where he flashes back to Jane and tells him that he needs to take responsibility for his own actions. And so, yeah, I would I have liked more development? Would I have liked it to be, yes, he takes control of his life, which we got at the end of the series and something else? Maybe, but I enjoyed it. I was kind of on the edge of my seat. Yeah, no, I think the nuts and bolts of the movie really work. It's just that there's... I felt like the ending of Breaking Bad, at least for Jesse, was much more ambiguous, where I'm not sure what to feel. Like, I'm not sure if this is a positive ending for Jesse or a negative ending, or I'm not sure what's what's in store for him, versus the end of El Camino, where I feel like it's 100% uplifting. Like, oh, Jesse's riding off into the Alaskan sunset. Things are going to be good for him now. And I was just like, does he, does he, has he earned that? Like, uh, I wasn't. Well, what do you think about uh, when Mike says at the beginning that you can never make things right? Yeah, that was what I thought the movie was going to be about, but it doesn't really delve into that. Like, yeah. he doesn't, I don't think he's like dealing with, I mean, I, if the movie was about him, like, like trying to get over something, but being unable to sort of get over the past, his past misdeeds. But I don't think he ever is accountable for anything. Maybe it would have been better if they showed Brock get his letter, but his life still fucking sucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah what, there's no accountability for Jesse's actions. I mean, he did murder a person. <laughs> I mean, multiple he's people. multiple people. I mean, he's not, uh, I mean, yes, in the terms of Breaking Bad, I think he's the closest thing to a hero. Multiple But bad I mean, he's not, he's not that great. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, He's not as bad as Walt, though. And I think no, it's, yeah, it, yes. and it is nice to see a, a version of the Walt story happen that doesn't end in catastrophe. Mm-hmm. But but shouldn't it? <laughs> Should it? Um, I don't know. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, I I do like the simple message of of you know you got to take care of yourself. Uh, I, I mean I mean you got to make choices for yourself. Uh, 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 at the end of the movie, I just didn't feel like we needed a whole film for that. And and also, I feel like uh, I agree with you, Jerry. What you just said about getting brought in the letter it, that it would have been way more interesting if he had gotten to Alaska way earlier in the movie. And then uh, I don't know, it would have been a more of an epic movie or something like like where it's like in the future, and then he is trying to make things right. I mean, yeah, because I agree, he didn't really earn his Alaskan vacation. He's going to go on for the rest of his life. I think really the problem is just the term movie. Because mm-hmm. we've brought up when we were kids, when we were growing up, every time there was a movie made out of a TV show, it was a fucking event with a capital E. And it was going to remember when the X-Files movie came out and it was bridging. They actually see real aliens for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was like 
a paradigm shift. We're not going to get that with this. Also, because it's it's a piece of Netflix content. You watch all of Breaking Bad on Netflix, and then you just scroll over to this, and here it is, just a 30-minute longer episode. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, if this was just a standalone movie and it didn't have Breaking Bad sort of on its, you know, heels or on its shoulders, uh, like, it would just be a very simple story about a guy trying to get over his past, trying to become self-actualized, just a simple crime thriller, sort of a nuts and bolts type thing. And I think I would I, I would love it. Uh, but because of the Breaking Bad ties, because Walt has the exact same arc, uh, it made me sort of question, like, what is the movie trying to say about Jesse having the same arc, but not have to deal with any of the sort of emotional consequences that Walt has to deal with? Because Jesse doesn't, he doesn't fall from pride. He doesn't enjoy the mm-hmm. killing. That's the difference, okay. you know? And, and I think that's what makes him the better man. Mm-hmm. That allows him to have this but happier do you ending. feel like the movie d- deals with sort of Mike's sort of proclamation that uh, you c- you can never change the past, Jesse? You know, you can run away as far as you want, but it'll, you know, nothing will change for you. Well, I, so one thing that perhaps I would have preferred them emphasize more is that he regrets the relationship that he has with his parents because right mm-hmm. now it kind of seems like I mean when I watch the movie I, I'm like fuck those parents oh yeah you they know? suck they suck <laughs> maybe maybe he would have snuck back in the house and maybe felt more regret for the position that he's put them in or you know maybe tries to fix things with them mm-hmm. but can't but He's kind of already given up on them and only manipulates them in the movie. Yeah, he's only interested in in himself and getting himself to Alaska. Hey, man, the cops are on your tail. What are you going to do? I mean, sure. (laughs) And to to your point about it being, you know, what is it, a movie or an epilogue or whatever, a long episode, I mean, that is a part of my negative reaction, I feel like. I don't want to harp on this too long, but but that is I the only reason this movie exists. It, it, it I do believe it's a cash grab. Netflix probably went to Vince Gilligan and was like, here's a bazillion dollars. Can you you know, can you make a, we can make a cheap Breaking Bad movie, bill it as an event and, you know, b- bump up our whatever view count or whatever the fuck. I mean, I don't, I think that that is the genesis of this. I don't think it's Vince Gilligan going, I have such an inspired script that I can't wait to show to the world. Okay. I, I, I agree with that, but every single time there's been a movie based off of a TV show that tries to build off the same mythos established in the TV show, it's a the fucking Sex in the City movie is a masterpiece, Jared. You shut the <laughs> fuck up. Yeah, but how about the second okay, one? Okay, well, that's something different. <laughs> when I lived with Ryan, he watched all of Sex in the City for a movie he was going to write and then decided not to write it. <laughs> uh, regrettably, that's one of the, that's a summer I wish I could get back, honestly. <laughs> um... Yeah, I so I agree that that's probably what happened. I mean, they probably Netflix just dumped part of its unlimited money on Vince Gilligan's doorstep. But at the same time, I would prefer that he did something measured and restrained that still feels like an authentic episode of Breaking Bad than try to blow it out of the water, resurrect Walter White, and spend $200 million making some sort of Fast and the Furious car chase action scene just to make it worthy of the I, I, totally... I, I agree with that, but we don't need that. But uh, Breaking Bad is not measured and restrained. I mean, it is it is to agree, but you know, there is fucked up shit in, this mo- in, in that show. There's not really anything worth yeah but fucked up shit that builds yeah. over yeah hours okay I, i'm not saying we need like it needs to be a trauma movie but i'm just saying like like something give me anything out of the ordinary the, 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 breaking bad is I not mean, normal he virtually be- yeah. he virtually becomes walt when he walks yeah. into the contractor's place with a way to fool them to get what he wants. I mean, that's a pretty significant character transformation. I guess he does have a duel. You know, he does. That's kind of. He has. A, <laughs> he he has a duel. He does the same thing that Walt does when Walt uh, kills Uncle Jack and all of his people. He goes into a place 
alone, outgunned, outmanned, and he's just got a trick up his sleeve to basically win. And it's kind of cool to see him taking the advice of his mentor, because as much as they hated each other at the end, they still went through a lot, and they learned a lot from each other. I did like the diner scene. That was funny and cool. And uh, I I love the diner scene. I loved every scene in the movie, honestly. I thought every scene, every interaction was perfectly written, perfectly acted. Special mention to Robert Foster. Yeah, terrific. He's terrific in the movie. Uh, love. I, I, I. It's just. I'm not sure what the movie's saying, but the individual pieces I think are all great. Like I think Vince Gilligan is at like the height of his, you know, of his of his power of like small moments and just dissecting them and and exploring them. And I I like that. I like that small. You like scale. seeing your old friends back together again. You know, all together. <laughs> you know, sometimes no, that's it's enough. not enough for I me. I actually my. My least favorite scene is probably the Walter White what? scene. Like uh, my favorite scene is the Todd scene. Is the is the looking for the money? Is the Robert Foster scene? Like uh, the the Walt stuff feels a little bit more fan servicey to me. But I mean, they could have done they, they could have done so much more. Like I I, yeah. fe- I felt it was uh, responsibly restrained for it to be one scene that Walter is not alive. That it's no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. and I mean it's all about Jesse. It's all I mean all these flashbacks are all about like what is jesse going to do in the future i mean they sort of hammer that home a lot but. see i i felt like that that meal scene was really dense while not uh while still s- seeming very authentic and not preachy so we have this whole thing with jesse not having plans on what he want to wants to do with his life he doesn't know if he wants to go to college so once again we're establishing that he is not taking control of his life i really like that and correct me if i'm wrong Perhaps this was already established in the series. I just haven't seen it in a while. But it's the first time that we established that Walter really had an out. He had a reason to not keep going. Jesse promised to give the money to his family even after he was dead, but he just liked it too much. I can't remember. I, th- I thought he. Ha- I thought he had multiple outs. Uh, yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then uh, obviously, so another indication. This I think this is the only indication that we get that. At least Walter actually saying that he likes doing it when he says, you're lucky. You didn't wait until you're old to do something spectacular. We only hear him say, I liked it, like in the, what was it, the last episode yeah. of the whole show? That I think that is the purpose of the scene, is that yeah. line right there. <laughs> and do you think that it's more of Jesse not taking action in that he did not recognize then and there that Walter is a ticking time bomb and he should have divorced himself <laughs> from the situation? Probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's something to that. Can, can we take a moment to... Uh, appreciate how funny it is that todd you know it's they're like things supposed to be flashbacks and he and he, he must be like 40 pounds more than he was i did i did back in the that. show i'm just saying <laughs> give him a i'm just Jesse saying Clemens it's it's break, like it's like wait, this is a flashback to the exact scene we saw i saw that scene that's not how he looked <laughs> jesse well, Clemens is in, is in hey, fine i form. love him he's, <laughs> in, he's a great form. actor <laughs> He's, he's great. A, he's an amazing actor. Yes. I actually, that crossed my mind, but I was like, you know what? I probably just don't remember the show that well because no. I just feel like most movies these days, you know, just hire a trainer for well, six weeks before look, you start shooting. That's what they, everyone does. Yeah. They kept talking about how Jesse's like, oh, you're at high school. I'm like, dude, you're like 40 years old. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised yeah. he didn't do yeah. some. He looks just as old as I'm Walter. I'm surprised he didn't do some digital touch ups with all this Irish man <laughs> technology we got these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you guys think there's any relevance to the title El Camino, or that the that the car represents anything? I was struggling with that. Yeah, because it doesn't really factor into much of the movie. He gives yeah. it up like one third of the way into it. So, other than he, it's Todd's car. It, At the end of the series, he steals it 
And I guess that act of him stealing it and then, you know, choosing his own direction in life, you know, cars Mm -hmm. traditionally have been this symbol of freedom, symbol of having freedom over your own life. And maybe it it doesn't really function that way in this movie. It might have if we just think of the series alone, you know, him driving off into into the sunset, having his own car, doing his own thing after having told Walter to do it yourself, I think... Then it works as a symbol of taking control of your own life. But in this movie, I mean, Todd gets him to put a canopy on the car to dispose of a body. Um, The other thing, I don't really know why that's relevant, but the other thing that maybe is relevant is the fact that, so we see the scene where Jesse, he gets the gun out of the glove box and he does not shoot Todd with it. He does not take action when he clearly should have. And then I think we see in the present when the movie's taking place, that the gun is still there, as if Jesse Plemons, uh, Todd, never actually even took it out. (laughs) He was just so confident that Jesse would never try to betray him and never try to shoot him, that he was so thoroughly uh, dehumanized by him. Also, El Camino is Spanish for, like, the the path or the road, the way. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that uh, in terms of, you know, making your own path, he's all, even though he, he gets a new car, he's always given the car. Like, he never, like, gets a new car. He never takes a car for his own, if that makes any sense. Like, it's, he steals t- Todd's car. He then takes Skinny Pete's car, I think, Skinny Pete's car. And then at the end, uh, Ed gives him a new car. So it's not really, like, if you're going to go into the sort of metaphor of he's got to find his own path, he's got to find his own car to, to, on the road to mm-hmm. somewhere else— He's still using somebody else's car People to get are there. Still yeah. Cars. yeah. So I'm not sure what uh, what sort of message that's trying to impart there. <laughs> yeah. Were you guys at all disappointed that it all the salvation kind of comes just back to the Robert Forster character, yeah. which we've seen uh, that Walt did, that uh, uh, Saul did, and that like okay, we're just revisiting this. Yeah, I wish there was a third act twist to it. Like I love the thought of going to him, and then he's like, "I'm not gonna give it to you for eighteen hundred dollars." I love that, but the fact that you know he is ultimately the solution that they go back to him again is a little. I don't. I don't know how. I don't like. I think they want a happy ending for him. Yeah. Uh, so that is the easiest way to give him a happy yeah. ending. I mean, the other version of the story he goes to Brock and then gets it, caught. Exactly. Yes. Goes to Brock, tries to do. T- for Brock, what Walt did for Walt Jr. and maybe dies in a blaze of glory. That's another option. I, yeah. I almost think that's the the better ending. Not dying in a blaze of glory, but like owning up for it, for your past mistakes. Like I could go away, I could go and go to Alaska and be free, or I can make up for the my for the errors of my past. And I go see Brock and I deliver this letter in person, and then that sort of cost me, you know. And then I go to jail theoretically. But I don't yeah. know if that's the happy ending you know fans would want. So. Yeah, I think we all feel bad for Jesse. Yeah, we all feel bad for him. That's the thing. Do you want? I, yeah, you that don't want the victim since he's been locked up in the past. Ending with him being locked up is, I think, a hard message to say. I guess I, right. I'm talking myself out of it now. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Ryan? Uh, 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 about which part specifically of that? I just which which ending would you prefer? Um, I. Yeah, I, I I I wish something to do with Brock more than just kind of like, oh, I'll give you, oh, you know, he'll get a birthday card from me. Um, I mean, I, I assume it told uh, the whole story and everything, you know, which is nice, but like, yeah, I would have, I think, I think like more needed to happen. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys pick up any 
so when the whole shootout thing happened, I was at that point, and plus with the title El Camino, I was like, oh, are they trying to do some sort of revisionist Western thing where Jesse's trying to escape being a man of violence, but being pulled back in for that one final mm. time to kill people in order to be liberated, like the Clint Eastwood character in Unforgiven, for example? I mean... I get. I mean, like he has the option to kill the cop early on, and he's like, "I'm no, I'm no cop killer." The, the uh, cop. Oh uh, yeah, the cop. Yeah, but I don't, he's not a Jesse's never been a, a, gunslinger. a gunslinger to begin yeah. with. I think that's the problem in that. Like, uh, if he was someone who was, you know, dealing with hurting other people and like, oh, I'm jonesing yeah. to kill, but I he's always don't been a do re- it. He's always yeah. been the reluctant man of exactly. violence. Exactly. He did yeah. not like killing Gail. If, if anything, he goes full-hearted into the violence. If anything, it's a guy, you know, being like, I'm reluctant to do this, and now at the end, uh, I'll be Walter White, and I'll shoot this guy. But it's because he had to be. I mean, he's yeah. still reluctant about it. I, I mean, they very smartly never give us any indication that he feels like a badass. There are so many shots of Walter White after winning where he looks like a fucking oh, badass, like know. cue the music. He's, uh, he's driving <laughs> away as the thing blows up in the background. I don't know. That's kind of a, I don't know. a badass Jesse shot. I never really felt the kind of swell of, oh, fuck yeah, like I did with Walter White mm. thing. I mean, there was definitely, I don't, th- I mean, if I remember the shot correctly, he's not actually driving. It's just he's sitting in the car. We see the explosion in the background. Yeah, maybe it's pretty badass, but it's not as badass as when Walter White... Uh, blew <laughs> when he blew up the car of the guy who was like, uh, what's his name? Like Ken, the guy who's like a Wall Street broker who always wins, and he's got this shitbag car, <laughs> and he's got that. Uh, oh, his license plate says Ken wins, and Walter White just goes over there and uses science and makes his car, uh, makes the batteries connect and makes the car go up in flames, and then walks out in the in <laughs> slow motion. Just so good, like we don't want to get anything like that. You know? That's what I wanted. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's a Walt thing, man. Jesse still Jesse doesn't like it. That's the distinction. I think yeah. that's the whole point of the movie. I guess Jesse doesn't like it. That's why he gets the happy end. Let me just put it this way: the tone of that scene, I would have loved. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, I mean, because that's so fun. I mean, that's right. what that, that's when you end a Breaking Bad episode with shivers instead of just a. Oh, that was a that was a okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I don't see him ever, you know, being like, "Oh, I don't like this." Oh, I, I, I like I I don't see that dramatized in the movie very much. Well, he's the one that has the empathy. He's the one that has a line that he will not cross. He will not poison a kid. Okay, but that was in the series. I mean, now he's. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, like in the movie, it's it's okay for him to you know kill people because they're awful. So. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, but it could also be argued that the reason why he didn't kill Todd in the desert is because eventually Uncle Jack would get to Brock. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think the well, would the movie? Do you think the movie posits that he should have killed Todd in the desert? Like, well, I feel that, like that's I what the actually, movie's getting that, at. That's what yeah. I thought until I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> so now I don't really know. I because yeah, he would have killed Todd in the desert. Uncle Jack would have eventually figured it out. Jesse wouldn't be there. And I guess Jesse could pick up Brock and try to escape with him, but then he would have really no recourse for finding money. Well, actually, no, he could have stole Todd's money. <laughs> yeah, he would. He already knew where it was. Yeah, he was in the encyclopedias. Yeah, it was in a much easier place at yeah. that point. <laughs> okay, that doesn't really hold up either. Uh, anyway, uh, that's all I have for this movie. Anything else you guys want to bring up? Um, I guess yeah. Um, he could, he can't go back to Brock because Mike or he he learned from Mike. You can't make it right, so I just got to give him a card. 
But he never tries to make it right. That's my biggest I issue have to with the movie. In the card, there was here's a stash of money I left you, or I'm gonna pay your way through college. Not just like a how's it going, champ? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Brock is gonna come uh, get revenge and, and look for Jesse in Alaska? I mean, I'm. Sh- who knows if Brock is ever even going to understand what happened? Breaking he probably Brock. just thinks that his mom was breaking Brock. <laughs> he probably just thinks that his mother was killed by some hoodlum. The the thing I like about Better Call Saul is that yes, Saul gets away, but maybe it's worse. Like uh, maybe getting away is even is even a worse fate for him. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any versus of it. I here. Seen any of it. Yeah, but versus here, it's a t- it's the opposite message where Jesse gets away, and I think we're supposed to think, oh, he's gonna live his life in Alaska and everything's gonna be perfect. Yeah, but did you really end the series thinking that when Jesse went away, that he would? Oh, he's probably going to get intercepted by the cops and thrown in prison and ass rammed for I, I the rest of his days. Go, I like, think it could have gone either way. I think on, that, that ending is very ambiguous, whether or not he's going to make it out or whether what's no. going to happen to him 10 minutes from now. Well, see, that's like, where I think there's the potency of the El Camino, because I do think that he just stole a car, just told Walt, do it yourself, fuck you, and now he's just basically riding into the sunset. Yeah. I think there's a pretty strong visual indication that he is free, that he is going to find something else in life no i agree with that i just don't know if he deserves that <laughs> <laughs> okay uh all right uh mailbag ryan or anything else oh yeah let's go mailbag all right cool we got a bunch of stuff about the joker you can hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co or just joker sorry um let's go we've got uh oh you want to hit us up voicemail 213-534-8807 we got something from bud go bud What's up, Wisecrack? My name is Bud. Uh, I just listened to your podcast on Joker. Uh, I think it's definitely meant to be a satire. Like, it feels a lot like Fight Club to me in the sense that uh, there's a leader whose rejection of meaning is taken by his followers to be meaningful. Uh, I also think there's something in there about you know, in The Dark Knight, there's a scene where the Joker is asking Batman to hit him with a motorcycle so that it'll kill him. Um, and then in Joker, he has that line in his book about, I hope my death makes more sense than my life did. I think maybe he's embracing an evil so that eventually when he's killed, uh, his death makes sense. Uh, I don't know. I uh, well, just wanted to hear your thoughts on those two things. So for the first one, the whole thing about people saying, and I haven't heard other people say this, but the idea that it's a satire because he doesn't actually believe in the political project that he inspires. My problem with that is that I think that most people walk away thinking that the movie has a socially important message that if the people who are struggling are not recognized as human beings in our society, then bad shit is going to happen. And if we are supposed to look at the people who are raging in the streets because of the social inequality, and if it's a satire, I don't think we're supposed to look at them like clowns, like we... I mean, the whole thing of them being clowns is supposed to be, no, that's wrong. Thomas Wayne is a jackass, whereas the Project Mayhem dudes are clowns. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's more in terms of, I feel like it fits more in terms of a Todd Phillips anti-human uh, sentiments where he just hates everybody. So he hates Thomas Wayne, he hates the rich people, but he also hates the Joker. And he hates the fact, and like, and he, he underscores this by making, you know, the Joker not sort of aware of what he's causing. Like, he, he doesn't actually care about this social revolution happening. That That is a good thing, I think, that's presented in the movie. And so that sort of undermines the, the Joker uh, of it all. Yeah, I mean, one of the best criticisms I've seen of the movie is people saying that because the mob that the Joker inspires is that just a disorganized mob that's creating chaos, they actually do not – they're proving that they do not deserve the recognition that Thomas Wayne is withholding from them. That's that could be yeah. I mean, I don't. Does anything change at the end of this movie? At the end of the, at the end of Joker? Like, uh, I mean, I, I think does, we're supposed to believe we, no. I think so too. I don't think it changed anything. I right. think he gets locked up and the rich keep on going. I mean, yeah, Thomas Wayne is dead. Right. So, uh, the, but the, but, and, but that's like a shitty sentiment that the poor are so disorganized and 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 dumb that they can't they can't even funnel their rage into a productive way. I mean, mm-hmm. that sucks. Yeah, it does suck. <laughs> yeah. We got an email. I don't think I wrote this one down from a guy talking about how, you know, how it doesn't show what happens the day after the revolution. Now, no, pretty much zero movies show what happens the day after the revolution. But yeah, I mean, I at the end of the day, I guess the social political thing that he's playing with is really just background. I don't think he probably spent as much time thinking about it as he did thinking about just how to make Joaquin Phoenix um, you know, scare people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, all right, so hit us up with email, questions, comments, concerns, movies at wisecrack.co. This is from Diego. Diego says, this is about Joker. To me, the ideology of the movie is, is that society is failing to establish values and norms to the citizens of Gotham, and when this happens, there's a tendency to grab onto idols and make meaning out of their actions when there may not be any. I think this is most clearly shown by Joker not being political and Thomas Wayne clearly not caring about the people, but the media stating he'd be a great candidate for mayor. In this way, the movie does not take a clear stance because the movie shows how social services are needed and how societal values aren't being internalized. Uh, He goes on to talk about the transition from tragedy to comedy. The transition from tragedy to comedy is also symbolized with him in the beginning of the movie making himself smile and frown with his hands, and then at the end when he makes a smile out of blood. So it's for this reason I don't think his laugh as a compulsion messes things up because the times when he is uncomfortable and is forced to laugh by his condition is when people are being mean to him, which is the incongruity of the concept that people have values and the actual object. By the end of it, his laughter isn't forced. He knows people are unjust and works to bring that to the forefront just like Heath Ledger's portrayal. What do you guys think? Um, well, th- 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 to me, uh, what I got out of Joker more than uh, uh, w- w- was less a societal co- uh, commentary and more just like one man's ascension into madness and, you know, things that can lead to that. And, yeah, I guess they do kind of make a point about, you know, the, the diminishing social programs not being there for someone like him who literally can't help himself. So, I mean, there is that you can get out of it, but I think it's more just like a guy like this, and yeah, he's not political, but yeah. <laughs> but, but what Diego is, at least his first point, is that society is leaving a vacuum because there are no moral exemplars to look up to that uh-huh. when someone like the Joker comes out and says, you know, like just drops a big old truth bomb or whatever, we're all going to glom on to them even if they don't actually believe their own message. Okay, yeah. I yeah, can totally I mean, see to, that. Yeah, 
I, I agree. I mean, there's a sort of hopelessness to the movie where, you know, Thomas Wayne is awful, but, you know, the media extols him and the Joker is similarly awful. And yet the, the lower class people extol him and sort of this, you know, we bo- all, both sides are extolling these figures that are not worth extolling. Mm-hmm. And uh, it leads to nothing. <laughs> it leads to, you know, horror and, you know, calamity and death. And uh, I don't think I, I don't think there's any solution the movie posits for this. I think that it says, you know. You know, the you know it is a kill the rich movie where you know we kill the rich but nothing changes and uh, it's we the Joker still gets locked up in the end and nothing nothing is gonna ever gonna be good the world is too corrupt too screwed over we'll never fix it. Well, there's one obvious thing that we're skipping that obviously changes a shit ton and that is the fact that Batman is born. Mm, okay. I mean, if nothing else, the movie creates Batman. I guess, yeah. But what what, is, what do you feel like the movie is saying about, you know, the creation of, of Batman? Uh, I mean, I don't—it depends on what this version—well, assuming there's a sequel, which they say there isn't going to be. But if there was, we'd only know then. Mm-hmm. What does this version of Batman bring to Gotham? Yeah. I mean, I feel like—I mean, isn't the, the Joker in his own weird way sort of the, the Batman figure in this movie, kind of, who's, like, showing, you know, the—trying to bring truth to, like— he's trying to show off that, you know, Thomas Wayne sucks and, like, no— like, uh, he's trying to bring truth to light, uh, but in his own sort of way. Well— And trying to kill, you know, uh, this, that, this, host, my... this host that is sort of extolling the, the, the lies of, the, of, of, the, of media. One of my favorite things about this movie is that it does seem to be a pretty good— reversal of the Nolan Batman mm-hmm. Batman just because even when we were talking in the Dark Knight Rises how a lot of people have said that Nolan is very much defending you know in a sense like status quo capitalism yep. and this movie is basically saying that no the system if it keeps going the way it is is going to be so horrible that it will create someone like the Joker mm-hmm. and if for no other reason I kind of like that that reversal of the story in terms of if the Joker is kind of the Batman in the story only in that he is, I guess, addressing or I guess inadvertently addressing the problem of that Gotham is a shithole, which is what Batman is always trying, yes. to, trying to fix as well. All right, let's move on. This is from Everett. He says, my first point about the movie is what took me out of it the most, and you guys touched on it some, is that the framework of the movie being an origin story is mostly irrelevant. If you were to change the names of the Waynes to the Jeffersons and take the story out of the Batman universe, I don't believe it would have made any kind of impact on the movie. This kind of bothered me because while I did enjoy the movie, it felt like the Joker's origin aspect was just a gimmick. Now, on the other side of that statement, if they were to make a sequel to the movie, I would no longer feel this way. A friend of mine suggested that the next movie in the series should be another origin story of a villain, Oswald Cobblepot. If that story were to begin right where the city was on fire, and it could be a fascinating story of how a man of great wealth becomes a villain, giving us both sides of the coin, do you think this would be the start to a next great Batman series? Along the same lines, I do want to give one huge positive to the film. I love the intimate understanding we got of how awful Gotham had become pre-Batman days. I don't think we've gotten a live-action Batman movie that really shows us how much of a crisis the city was in, or only given lip service to the idea. Usually you just hear a character say something like, Gotham is full of crime and dirty, but we usually see scenes of clean streets or inside Wayne Manor, which is immaculate. I love how the Joker brought us into the terrible world of Gotham and made us feel, even in a small way, that in a city that bad, anyone could have one bad day and become the Joker. From Everett. 
I don't know if I, I completely agree because I think like using the the Batman mythos to sort of uh, comment on you know the social ills uh, sort of demyths uh, sort of the Batman sort of you know ethos and the the I mean we think of Thomas Wayne typically as you know a tragic figure and here he's recast as you know a sexual abuser I mean that is a, a big you know choice uh, and I think recontextualizes what we think of Batman. Yeah, there's this whole meta thing in that. The Batman mythos and the Gotham mythos is something that we're all invested in and we all only understand it through a lens of, yes, things are bad, but really it's just because of the innate corruption of mankind that Batman has to just pummel until it stops. Whereas in this version, we are kind of giving quote unquote recognition to the fact that no, there actually may be social causes that 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 create this Mm -hmm. so that when we perhaps after seeing this movie we see batman beating the shit out of uh criminals we say to ourselves oh well maybe it's his dad being a jackass that made these people turn to crime i mean that's an interesting thing no no i agree yeah no i agree (laughs) all right this next (laughs) This next one's from Adam. He said, (laughs) I just listened to the Show Me the Meaning episode on Joker and just wanted to drop a line regarding the movie's depiction of the comedy-tragedy dichotomy. While you described the film as straddling the line between the two, I would argue it often straight up subverts our assumptions about what's funny and what isn't, thus getting us closer to Arthur's point of view. At multiple points, the film depicts horrible events as funny, the best example being the midget joke after killing the clown. The traditional gag material is as just sad, most memorably Arthur hitting the glass door at the hospital. This reflects how Arthur Arthur often laughs, albeit involuntarily, at lame attempts at a joke, like suggesting super cats as a solution to Gotham's rat problem, and similarly making lame and twisted jokes in his notebook, the same place where he kept his journal about the negative experiences of his life from Adam. Um, this is something that I want to revisit. I, I actually... Both Tommy, Ryan, and I saw another movie this weekend. We saw Parasite. Yeah, baby. Uh, actually, all three of us, yeah. all three of us, got tickets to the event, but did not plan on go <laughs> yeah. together. We just all randomly saw each other at the same theater. But it we, is playing only at like two theaters, to be fair. But <laughs> yeah, it's playing in three theaters in the nation. Great movie. We can we can cover it on this podcast if you guys are interested. But uh, we talked about Joker a bit, and I just said. I need to see it again. Uh, <laughs> I like it. And this is one of the reasons, as far as whether it's a tragedy or comedy, um, and then Lux's whole thing about saying that perhaps it is inviting us to laugh at it when it's at its mo- more serious moments, I just got to see it again. I mm. liked it a lot. I do think there is a there is a condescending tone to those to those, to those moments in particular. When, I think it is a laugh moment when the smaller when the small person cannot reach the the lock and she has to ask for you know the Joker's help to do so. I think it is a, a, a actual laugh moment when he knocks into the glass. I think you're supposed to sort of be like, oh, what a how pathetic that kind of that kind of feel. Yeah. But obviously, you don't laugh. Yeah, I mean, it's more I mean, of maybe, a, maybe one of them more, of a more than the other. It's more of a mean-spirited, like, ha-ha, these people. Yeah. All right, this last one, uh, and then we're going to wrap it up from Rudd. Rudd says, I have noticed, and maybe it's Rudd, maybe it's Rude. I apologize if I could have got it wrong. Something I noticed in the debate surrounding Joker, which I'm curious to get your take on. In many media outlets, there's reference to the great outcry surrounding the portrayal of violence in Joker and a huge amount of articles that supposedly voice these concerns. Only I'm struggling to find the actual articles that are alluded to. It reminds me of the Tide Pod Challenge. That was a hoax until it was reported as an actual thing by media. Didn't realize it was a fake story. Only then did people actually start to put their health at risk by chewing the gooey packages. In this case, however, some huge discussion is referenced quite extensively. 
Many people talk about it. Professional journalists and amateurs alike give their two cents, mostly, yeah, the studio can't be held responsible and variations thereof. And people move on to other talking points. It seems more of a meta discussion on a debate that only exists in a way smaller size than people seem to think. And the actual debate is sort of sidetracked. How do you guys feel about this? And have maybe there been more stories that you actually remember that I can't lay my hands on? Um... He also says, oh, okay, yeah, we got a couple emails about this. So also the article points to a bit of misinformation that you seem to have unknowingly perpetuated in the Joker episode, namely that the Aurora shooter was committed by someone dressed as the Joker. The whole ordeal had nothing to do with the character. The perpetuator Holmes selected that venue because there were many people. Even the DA said so. He just had dyed red hair. Yeah, but the Joker had green hair. I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that, that, that I think that that's why some people got that impression that I mean, his yeah, hair was dyed. I just. Uh, Yeah, I think so, too. There are plenty of things that I'm sure all of us believe because of the media that are entirely false. (laughs) So uh, I apologize for perpetuating that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know everything. Ryan has a, yeah, 100 percent objective truth Uh is the only thing that enters Ryan's Uh mind. I think is what Rudd's saying that people are writing articles about how people aren't or that the studio isn't responsible for violence at these theaters that didn't happen? Is that what he's saying? I think what he's saying is is a complaint I often have, where it's like there's some news story or some some debate that's going around, and it's like, you know, uh, I heard people are really upset about this. And then it's like uh, every article is like four people on Twitter said this, and it's kind of like, all right, everyone in the country is having a debate based on a couple idiots. Somebody cherry-picked some some stupid people on Twitter, and now we're, we're all talking about it. I think that's what he's kind of saying is that is anyone really is anyone really upset about or 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 blaming the studios is anyone you know is that part of is there a movement for that really or is it just kind of a feeling that there is one yeah i mean it's a it's a self-creating controversy where you talk about what the controversy is and then in turn create a controversy after over talking about that oh yeah because anger sells so well that there was there was uh, alec was talking about this a while ago that there was this controversy like apparently four people on Twitter got mad at Home Depot for something and mm. then of course some journalists picked it up and said oh wow people getting angry gets a lot of clicks I want to you know be able to feed my family today so I'm going to write this article about how people mm-hmm. are boycotting Home Depot and then someone else wants to feed their family that day as another journalist who probably gets paid shit doing uh, freelance work and he says oh wow if this article says that people are boycotting Home Depot they must be boycotting Home Depot so I'm going to write that in my publication and then it just spots Virals and to where literally we've created a media media shitstorm over four people on Twitter, three of which are probably Russian trolls. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I mean, I feel like the the Joker as incel was started by people saying, "I hope this movie doesn't become a Joker as an incel type of story." So it wasn't it yeah. wasn't like it wasn't like the movie was promoting being an incel. It was people commenting on the fact that oh, I hope that doesn't happen, and thus in turn creating right <laughs> the, the very thing that they're commenting against. So I know it's very, the, uh, the only incel movie is taxi driver oh yeah <laughs> well i mean this is taxi driver to be fair yeah i don't it's it's i think i like this movie better than taxi driver i'm like a oh. bit, i just don't get it i don't get it i saw taxi driver recently it's a hot take jared it's a super I, hot it, take. it is a hot take i'm trying to make my takes more lukewarm <laughs> but i gotta keep it I, I gotta keep it real with that one i don't like taxi driver I, I i mean i get that it evokes a mood but uh yeah king of comedy is way better it was ahead of its uh, time all right, anyway guys we're gonna yeah, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Ryan, for joining me. Where can we find you guys on the internet? Ryan. Uh, I, I put out comedy shorts on Ryan's shorts uh, every week, and sometimes you can find me on the Funhouse channel playing video games. 
and Tommy. Uh, you can find me at TC4949. All right, we're going to be back next week. I don't remember. Oh, I think we're maybe covering Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, but we also might do Parasite if you guys want. If you guys, if you guys want us to do Parasite, I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's only playing in three theaters in the country right now. But let us know. And uh, until then, uh, get get us out, Ryan. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. Peace.